How about like a quick intro from each of us and then we'll just jump into the question and just start from there. All right. Uh, go ahead. You start. So I'm Bobby Lancaster. Um, I'm an amateur screenwriter, a filmmaker. Um, I've also been working in the tech industry for the last 15 years in sales and marketing and spent a lot of the last 10 years studying storytelling, um, specifically trying to understand the architecture of stories. Uh, and over the last few years, I've been delving into depth psychology, particularly Carl Jung and Jordan Peterson, um, and trying to deepen my understanding of stories based on their work. All right, cool. <clears throat> so I'm Nathan Richard Phelps. Uh, I'm an artist in San Francisco, and um, I've been working doing art for many, many years, but only recently have found what I think people would call success. <laughs> and um, actually, I would frame it as like making it and making it to me is uh, just being able to support myself on my art, uh, solely from my art, not working for anybody else and um, being able to afford San Francisco. And so recently, um, my company, so I made a split in between my own work as an artist. And then I started a commercial company called NRP Artworks. And it's the application of my artistic interests and um we my primary expression uh artistically and with the commercial company is murals um but we're also getting into large-scale fabrication and then that's uh being applied to biotech more than anything else <clears throat> So I actually, I help builders uh, develop spaces um, that are creative and interesting for scientists to work in. And that's taken the form of everything from, uh, it's basically a correct creative director role, which is something that I've kind of recently uh, come into. However, uh, the entire artistic pursuit is based off of my spiritual experiences that I've been encountering for the last few decades and um, the artistic side of my life is a reflection of the spiritual um, development and insights that I've had. And so I use the artistic side to be able to understand the deeper parts of my own inner experience and then the process of externalizing those um, encounters uh, takes the form of my artwork and then that can ultimately be applied to architecture and so it's been an interesting um, and, and all this has just been an, <laughs> like a discovery like it was never a plan it just kind of like one thing led to the next and led to the next and then now you kind of turn around and look in the rearview mirror and you, you realize like oh wow this pattern is kind of perfect and obvious but on the front side looking forward you're like I have no idea where this is going mm. and so this dichotomy between the inner and external dimensions are what I'm fundamentally interested in and I think something that you and I are excited to explore um, in considering the question like who am I and you know where is the me and then how do we understand the frame to put that in? And there's all these different philosophies and traditions and religions and personal experiences of trying to really understand like where 
does the me end and the other begin? And uh, what do we do with that? And how do we how do we move through our life in a a coherent direction without just get, without spinning off and getting lost and then getting sucked into the the chaos because we don't have a frame to put it put it in into so yeah uh, yeah rough overview yeah and you you texted and we've been close friends for nearly 10 years now so we actually yeah. met in 2014 and we've been discussing these ideas for a very long time but i'm curious like you texted me just over a week ago asking that question like, how do I locate the me? Like, how do I locate yeah. who I am as an individual? So I'd be curious to know, like, what caused you to, like, was there a situation that you were in or like, what Yeah, what driving that question? Um, so as you know, uh, one of my practices is I have some pretty elaborate sketchbooks, notebooks that I write in, which are a combination of uh visual experimentations with drawing and lines and that's intermixed with text mm -hmm. and so one of my daily practices is I get up pretty early in the morning and my best time to write and explore things on my terms before the obligations of you know running this company and everything take over is like in between like four and six in the morning and so I'm really exploring the questions that we're bringing up right now. I mean, this is like the primary focus of my life, really. And so I hit, I remember this quote, which I, th I think my brain is doing this trick of memory thing where it's just like, like I thought it was this guy, uh, Father Beatty Griffiths, who actually went to Oxford studying literature with uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, Tolkien. But then he went off and joined the monastery, and then he ended up going into an ashram in India. And he has this quote that now I'm thinking is like not even his quote, because I can't find it anywhere. There's no mm -hmm. record of it, um, which is, um, when I am in love, um, when I'm in, when I'm in love, I care more for the other than I do for myself. But in that moment, I am more myself than at any other time. Mm. And it, it's just, it blows my mind when you think about, okay, so you're in love with somebody and you would sacrifice your life for this other person, right? Like you, like, especially if it's like your child, of course, but then even if you're in a romantic kind of eros driven loving lustful yeah you know reproduction based <laughs> relationship like you care more for this other person you know like in their well-being than you do for yourself so then when mm -hmm. so from that perspective you think like well then where am i like if there's more of me in the other person then where am i and i've been noodling over this for decades and then you immediately had a response to that which was well a better way of framing it a more accurate more psychologically stable and accurate way of saying that is when i am in love i care for the other equally yeah. as i as i care for myself yeah because it, and it, i am more myself yeah. in that moment than at any other time so that so that and yeah. that totally changed the whole thing um so yeah maybe you want to talk about that a little bit yeah, I when i think about your the initial quote that you shared you're saying 
when I am in love, I am more in love with the other than I am with myself. But I think that that's actually uh, the danger of falling in love is that you're yeah. putting more love into that other person than you are into yourself. Yeah. I think that you have to equally love yourself to be able to love that other. So, yeah. And that that's what I've, I've come like studying Jungian psychology. I've come to like, you have to love, like love of oneself is the ultimate moral acid test is something that Jung said and acceptance mm -hmm. of oneself. Um, so I, I more think that it would be better to conceptualize it as I am equally in love with myself as I am with the other. And that's, and that's, the, it's the same as like loving thy neighbor, loving thy neighbor as thyself, but it's not loving thy neighbor more than myself. Yes. And so I totally agree with you. And I think, um, what I've been understanding from my own personal internal dynamic of wrestling with this quote is that my the riddle of it to me because I've been thinking about this for 20 years you know when I first started thinking about this quote <clears throat> and it's only been recently I think that I've really found that you know for a lot of reasons which we can talk about but I've fundamentally been operating off of this uh, mode of inadequacy my entire life. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with being born in the church and then measuring yourself up against this Christian ideal and then that being buttressed with this idea of heaven and hell. You know, as you know, my dad was a Baptist pastor and, you know, I grew up in the church. And so it's presented as absolute truth. And before you, before I even had a chance to question whether or not I believed in this worldview, like my psycho, my psychology was already formed. You yeah, know, I was taught yeah, that exactly. I was fundamentally fallen. I was like fundamentally sinful. I was fundamentally bad. And there's nothing that I can do about it. It's just my nature. And so, yeah. And then, and so then my individuality is the thing that sins, right? My divine nature is what is without sin because Christ as the model of being without sin is, you know, sinless i guess and that's, that's yeah. a little bit tricky as well yeah so anyway so then i realized later that most of my adult life i've been operating from this fundamental psychological model of inadequacy and so therefore i wasn't able to love myself as much as i should because there's this dark aspect of my personality that doesn't deserve love that's sinful that shouldn't be given any attention and so there was this bifurcation of like shadow nathan and light nathan and the two couldn't come together yeah. and so in that quote of loving the other like it was easier for me to find the qualities and also be forgiveness and generous with other people especially the love the people that i loved it was more it was easier for me to give them all the qualities that i should also be giving myself Yep. You know, and I just was never able to make that gap. And so in wrestling with this quote for the last 20 years, it was really coming from the psychological structure of not of feeling inadequate and not loving myself as much as I could. And then, then it took you kind of reframing it a little bit. And it's only been recently within the last couple of years that I've kind of come out of it and and been starting to make progress and getting to the other side of that. So that that was maybe that's a little rambling answer but 
fundamentally, I think that that was the dynamic of loving yourself that answered the question to, at least in that quote, where the other is. Yeah. So, so yeah. Where, where do you feel like now, if you, if you, if you've had this like running, like psychological habit of thinking yourself inadequate, like, I remember you texting me a little while ago saying like, no, I am adequate. So is that kind of where you're well, at now? And how, and how long does that last? Because. Well, what, but what here, here's is, the thing. Here's like, the, I kind of agree with the church yeah. view that I'm eternally inadequate. Right. Eternally so here's, the trick. Here, here's the trick. And this is where it gets really, really tricky. Um, an amoeba is fundamentally adequate because it's just born into the form that it's born into. A tulip is born into like its tulipness is adequate right hmm. uh an oak tree it, you know is fundamentally adequate in being an oak tree you know so the hmm. baseline like all men are created created equal you know like that's true okay but then if you're an acorn and then you never become an oak tree you're never able to actually become what it is that you're born to become so are you really you're like you're not so so if you fail to make it there's an inadequacy there and so what I realized in my life is that I, it took me so long to become a successful artist. It took like 20 years. And before I met my own definition of making it, I was always inadequate. And so I used that as rocket fuel to, to drive me. And I reframed that and used it as energy to be able to persevere long enough to be able to get it. Yeah. And so, so Okay, when I was in that moment of being inadequate to my goals and my personal development, that's one side that was inadequacy. However, me as a human being, worthy of love, worthy of respect, worthy of, you know, worthiness mm. is, um, we always should have been the baseline. However, I grew up in the church. So the church fucked me up because mm. it's saying that you're fundamentally fallen. So the church is message in genesis it, it doesn't have to be this interpretation but it's the interpretation of fundamental inadequacy is pregnant inside of the first moments of humanity's arrival in you know on earth according to the bible so teasing that apart of you're fundamentally adequate and worthy of life and love is one part and then in your pursuit of your own goals within your own frame and your own value structure that you set for yourself and nobody else sets it for you, yes, you're inadequate because you have not reached your fullest potential. So you need to keep driving on that. But there, there are two parts, same, same frame, two parts, and knowing that they're two different parts is critical for mental health. And so that's yeah. that's something that I've been seeing a little bit yeah, I find it interesting that you're saying like a tulip is adequate and even, yeah. even an acorn can be that grows into a tree is adequate. But yeah. I feel like the inadequacy comes in when humans become conscious because yeah. then we have choice and we have responsibility. Yeah. But like an acorn doesn't have much responsibility in my mind because it doesn't have control over its conscious actions. And that's why I, I actually- It, it doesn't even have the ability to deviate exactly exactly we and yeah. we have the ability to deviate and we constantly miss the mark because we're limited beings in an infinite world we can't know everything 
So I actually agree with the church's view here that we're constantly oh, okay. inadequate. And uh, the key I'm is, motherfucker. And, and, and this is why <laughs> you're going to drive me back. I just had a solution. This yeah, is not exactly. my way out of this. You're going to drive me back into it. Yeah. Cause the, the yeah. church says like we're, we're sinful beings yeah. and the, and they constantly drill that into you more than okay. any other religion, especially the Catholic church. But I think the key is to love your inadequacies. So, and, and yeah. it sounds like during your artistic journey, you kind of did that, even if you didn't do it consciously, because you were saying, I felt myself inadequate, but then I used those inadequacies as fuel to make yeah. myself better. So I think in a way you have to love your inadequacies and you have to love your sinful nature and love yeah. that you have fallen. Because okay. as soon as, well, as, now, soon as okay, but think, now, now we're, we're not, but now we're changing definitions because now you're saying that inadequacy isn't actually inadequacy. Because if it's, if it's, if it's a tool that's part of a, so when is inadequacy truly inadequate? When you aren't living up to your ideal. Okay. That's, that's kind of my definition of inadequacy. It's, okay, not, so, okay. it's not so much about whether someone else judges you as inadequate. It's like, right. I have this goal of doing X and I'm not living up to it. I'm inadequate towards my own goals. Right. Okay. But then there's also, okay. But then, you know, I live in San Francisco, right. And there's this epidemic of zombies here, right? Like you walk downtown and there's people that are in such a fugue state that, you know, you can be like, Hey, Hey, yeah, whatever. Hey, over here, over here. And these people are just, they just have no, they're just gone. You know, I mean, obviously yeah. they're on drugs and they're, all, you know, whatever, but they're just they're just not here. Like you can't, like it is impossible to even connect and say like, this is reality, not that. So there's a fundamental inadequacy to come up to even the most basic level of human responsibility that um, we all expect if we're all gonna live together and share space, right? Yeah, and so. Yeah. There's a level of inadequacy there that is independent of the individual and whether or not they feel like they're doing fine or they're on their own personal journey or whatever it is. Like there's a societal down pressure to be able to say, hey, 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 you can't fucking, you know, throw shit on other people while they're walking down the road. You can't yeah. yell at children. You can't leave your needles, you know, yeah. even though, you know, politically it's, we got different, I don't know, whatever it is that's going on in San Francisco that makes that allowable you know, in just a very real way, you know, there's a certain level of responsibility that we all need to come up to. And so there's yes. an adequacy on that front that's independent of how the individual feels about themselves. So so how does that play into... Yeah, and, and I get that because there's like a, a cultural judgment about adequate behavior. So yeah. It's like the culture saying to you, you're inadequate, but I still think that that grounds out in individual action and individual yeah, responsibility because that yeah. individual has a conscience that tells them when they're about to do something that they shouldn't, right. don't do that. And they do it anyway. So right. it's the, an inner voice that's telling them that they're inadequate. Sure. The culture is as well, but I think it always grounds out in individual conscience about whether you're adequate or not. Okay, so now is it fair to link that to a sense of truth? Yeah. Like does the, vo does the voice yeah. that comes, that, that little voice that says, hey, you're doing a good job or you're doing a shit job, 
like is that now does that how close how close is that voice to truth in your it's opinion very very hard to say how close it is yeah. but it's closer than not in a way like i think it's yeah. always guiding you towards your truth whether mm -hmm. it's fully true or not is very hard to say because if i if i'm going to do something and my conscience tells me not to and then i don't do it um i am acting a little more in truth but is it some pure truth it's almost impossible to say well, yeah and this is like kind of where peterson you know jordan peterson comes in and he he talks about mapping the territory because you have to have you have to have a, a psychological process that allows you to map what's happening externally with your model internally and if you're yeah. denying that higher voice or denying your conscious or denying living truthfully you're not going to be able to see it's gonna you're going to distort it you're yes. going to distort that view so then you're not so now you're not going to be able to see what's we might not ultimately be able to see like what, what's true true like yeah. capital t true yeah. but we're not even going to be able to see what's true in just like, like a little you know near like in our, our immediate territory because if if we're just going through the world saying like, everybody's out to get me, like nobody likes me or I'm the fucking most awesome shit in the world. Like you're distorting things. Like you're going to be able to, it, you're going to see some reflections, but it's going to be more like a funhouse mirror. Yeah, yeah. Reflections. So you might be able to kind of stumble your way through life, but you're not going to be able to be precise and you're yeah, not going to exactly. be able to have never, mastery. Yeah. Yeah. It's never precise. And that's why I think it's very dangerous to think about that conscience as being any kind of ultimate truth i think of it yeah. as being a pragmatic truth that when you act right. it out you act it out and things get better yeah so you're like damn I, I i listened to my conscience i acted in this way things got better around me there's some truth in there but you can't just say that that action was fully true because sometimes our sinful evil actions lead to a greater good oh 100 right in the bible the story about what of saul and the uh you know the tax collector that mm. is that right is it saul paul or peter anyways i forget my church history but um you know no there's there, i mean the idea is that or or maybe like the alcoholic hitting rock bottom right so maybe like the final yeah. act is i don't know you do something horrific you know you rob a bank or something and then all of a sudden you realize like what am i doing yeah. And then that is the pivot towards good, but it took that final bad thing to bring on all the goodness that you could potentially make your life uh into uh after the after the the sinful act. Yeah. Yeah. So so what do you where do you think that you locate the me in you? Yeah. Like you you as an individual, where is that? Cuz that seems like one the ultimate philosophical question that comes out of like religion and monotheism is that there's an individual that you are a divine individual like it's the it's the ground of american culture that you and and christian culture and western culture is that you as an individual partake in the divine you have something divine about you but where do you locate that um i mean the short answer is i i really don't know and um i've i've been putting a significant amount of mental energy into this and um 
you know, on, on one hand, you could say that the me is a structure in consciousness that has a particular kind of pattern, right? Yeah. So I tend to think, and this is something to get into, but I tend to think that, you know, consciousness survives after bodily death. And so mm-hmm. uh, consciousness, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that we do while we're in this body is we have the ability to sculpt this pattern of consciousness because we have a body, because what sculpts consciousness is action, right? From like a Kierkegaardian sense, right? It's not, your values aren't what you think you believe in. Your values are what you actually do. So what it is that actually moves your body and what you put into action that goes into the world, like that's what your values are. And what is driving that or sets the parameters Mm -hmm. for that is this, invisible structure of consciousness that exists inside of you so i believe that that structure keeps going after death like the body falls away but i don't see any evidence that consciousness is destroyed after death i mean we don't even know what consciousness is so exactly um, yeah and i just have i've had experiences and i've you know seen things (laughs) that would lead me to you know that are more convincing that consciousness is indestructible and eternal, then it just pops in when the brain is formed and pops out when the brain is destroyed. Um, So the me inside of that is probably the safest assumption from an abstract standpoint is that it's a structure in consciousness. Okay. But okay. So where does that go? So one of the things that I've been thinking is that, so say like when somebody breaks up, like you break up it's like two people when they're in a relationship there's there's one part you one part me and then there's this third thing and then you're trying to build this third thing and the third thing kind of exists independently but the way the third thing happens is that there's a part of you and me and there's a part of me and you and then if if you die part of me actually dies like there's a part of me that ceases to exist like there's a part of that pattern in consciousness that structure that actually falls away and it's actually Mm -hmm. held together by feelings yeah so when i when i lose something it feels a certain way just like losing a hand or losing an arm and so so i've gotten that far to be able to think like okay well maybe the me at least in whatever the pattern of consciousness is extends out beyond my body and can connect with another thing and so then i start thinking like well maybe we're all inside the body of Christ or the body of God, Mm. right? Mm. And so the thing that's actually being, holding it all together, and this is like what Swedenborg um, kind of formulated in the late 1700s, and also to a lesser extent, Plotinus and, you know, the uh, Neoplatonic form of, of consciousness is like one big cloud of human isness, yeah you know from lowest to highest and then we're all individual kind of cells within that body yeah and so then it becomes a lot easier to say like okay the me is my own personal node but then it's also connected with this big node of like the human the species as all connected and this might be where Jung is thinking about the collective unconscious exactly but then there's little meannesses that are even in the unconscious. Like I'm, I was just listening to this uh, 
documentary on Kurt Cobain and when he died. Yeah. And I remember being in high school when he died, I was like devastated, you mm -hmm. know, like it really affected me. And so then I was kind of thinking like, wow, like maybe there was a part of me in him or there was a part of me in the big body of consciousness that he illuminated. And then I had a little piece in there. And so, okay. So again, where is the me? Well, yeah. You know, yeah I don't, it sounds like, I don't it know. seems like I don't know. the me isn't just locally in me. Yeah. That when you act in love, I think it could be, or some yeah. feeling that part of me can transfer to you, part of you can transfer to me. And, and, I, and, and that, then that that's in the body of Christ or that's in the body of God or something. It seems to be, it seems to, it seems yeah. to ground out in Christ and God. So, and so that, and then that seems like it could take the form of the solar system, right? So then I think of like the sun, right? The S-O-N, the son of God and the sun, the S-U-N, like soul. And then you think of like the heliosphere, the heliopause, right? So people don't realize it, but we're all inside of the sun right now, hmm. right? Like we're inside yeah. of the, the, the atmosphere of the sun and that's all photons. That's all like, you, hmm. we, all, we know that when sun, when stars die, like everything that we're made of here comes out of a sun. And if consciousness is married to matter somehow, like mm -hmm. maybe the maybe the the inside of the the heliosphere is consciousness that's held together by the sun, that's the S-O-N and the S-O-N. And that's our God. Our God is our local group. And then maybe there's these other gods and other solar systems all throughout the galaxy, and then in all the other galaxies. So then I'm like, okay, well, where is the me? It has to be linked to a, a, a physical connection between consciousness and matter, which we don't understand at all. We do understand that everything comes out of stars. And so then we're like, okay, well, maybe this is the local body. And then maybe yeah. this is just yeah. the intuit. And so then maybe this is what the Egyptians have been seeing. Maybe this is what exactly. the Mayans have been seeing. Like, yeah. I mean, I know this is like a wild leap out into the unknown. No, no. And if you this is where my brain goes stuff. when I start thinking of where is the me. Yeah, yeah. And all of those ancient cultures used to see the sun as the seat of consciousness. Right. Literally. Which makes sense. Because so like, I have a so like that's where consciousness is coming from. That sun right. up there. Yeah. And inside of ourselves. Like I see like there's a light shining in me. There's a light shining in you. You know, like we have yeah. our own suns inside of ourselves. Like yeah. the, the the analogy yeah, exactly. is, is super solid on on one level, you know. Yeah. And I, I want to bring something up that I heard uh, Jung and Peterson say that links yeah. back to your quote earlier. So Peterson was quoting Jung. I haven't find the, found the Jung reference, but he was saying that the more you act out yourself in the world, like your true deep down self, that me, the yeah. more it spreads to other people. And and uh, and after a while, you'll get to a point there where there's more of yourself in the world than there is in you. And that, that's what made your quote that make celebrity? sense to me. Hmm? Is um, that like celebrity and being like a star in that way where it's like... Yes, it, it, it is that. I think yeah. if, if you've communicated it properly, think of Jordan Peterson. He's put so much of himself and his work yeah. out there that it's now like I've absorbed a lot of his knowledge and part of him is in me. And that, that's when you said like the, the more I love the other... Or like that, because oh, okay. it, it it could get to a point where you've been yourself so much that there's more of yourself in the world than there is in you. So then it would make sense that you love the other more than yourself because yourself is actually in wow, the other. Dude, that's you. wow, that's a move. And I and I think related to your art, 
you're hitting a point in your career where you've been for 20 plus years putting yourself into this art that other people are seeing and consuming and interacting with. So I think you might be having this question right now because you're hitting a point where there is maybe more of yourself in the other than there is in you. That is such a gigantic territory that you just opened up that I'm overwhelmed to even look at it. Yep. yep. I, and it, I, on it, just even starting to look at it, like makes me emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's... Yep. Yeah. That's, I mean, this is actually a painful thought for me. Like it actually hurts to look at that. Why do you think that is? Because it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's like a, it's like, it's so, it's like, you just, you kind of just don't even want to look at it. You're like, oh my God. Like, if that's true, then all the intensity that I've been feeling already is like 10 X. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. God damn it. Like I'm having a hard enough time just like dealing with my own little small thing. And now it just opens up into this bigger thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause like, I mean, it's Jung, really hard. In Jung's alchemical work, he lays out these kind of multiple stages of transformation and I probably won't get this right, but one of them was like uniting your mind with your body and then uniting your spirit with your mind and your body. But the third level and the last level of his like individuation process yeah. is when you don't see any separation between you, I, between your experience and the world. Well, then it actually the gets world, small again. The world then it actually gets you. small again. Because the bigness is this understanding that it is the other and like you're looking into this formal territory. But then when there's no distinction between other and self, it gets small because you're like, oh, this is me. Yeah, it's all so you. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But that can also be a like an egotistical inflation to think, oh, yeah, yeah. I well, am everything. For... <laughs> yeah. Or well, that's what all the gurus do, right? The gurus, okay. you know, all the, all the, the, the most powerful gurus like Adi Da uh, was a big one on this. Like he, he, he would do this move that I always saw as like, he would, he would take a candle and he would like, this is all metaphorical. This is just what I saw in my mind. He would like light a candle, right. And light it. And he would be like, I am the light. And then he would hold it in front of the sun and he'd be like, look at my light. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, motherfucker. That's, yeah, it's a candle, but that's the sun shining over there, you know? Yeah. And people are like, oh my God, that's amazing, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of the Eastern philosophy tends to think that the me is illusion. It's Maya. Right. Like they don't locate the me, or if they do locate the me, they locate it as everything. And that, and that's weird because it, it kind of connects to that Jungian notion is like, if you go through your individuation process, you do hit a point where you recognize everything and yourself as one. But I feel well, that's like that's what Nisargadatta says. So N Nisargadatta, yeah. you know, is saying that, you know, you're in my dream. Yeah. You know, it's like. And it's, it's, it pushes out, you know, Nisargadatta was, you know, famously uh, previous to consciousness, which is like, whatever that, <laughs> I mean, you know, like this guy's so far out that, yeah. that I mean, language, even touching what he's doing is far out, but just to be able to hold the paradox and, and um, con seemingly contradictions of what it is that he's saying is fascinating. And so it's really, really fruitful and powerful. 
but yeah, that's he would say the same. So as somebody who has denied himself, denied himself, denied himself his entire life, at the apex of his realization, he would say something along the lines of, like, you are all in the dream that arises in me. Yeah. You know, because he says, I mean, it's really complicated. Well, it's really simple, but it's really complicated because he says, as soon as you have an image that he says, whatever comes and goes is not real. That's what he says. Yeah. Whatever appears and disappears is not real. So however, whatever it is that your form that you take, that you think that you take in consciousness, he says, that's a false reality. Yeah. He yeah. says, but what is, is what's going. So, so he's still acknowledging that there's something that's arising, but he is not saying like it needs to be this or needs to be that. He's kind of like taking it from the standpoint of a dream which makes sense because when you're having a dream, you're not really thinking like this is me. Hmm. It's just kind of arising and you're just witnessing phenomenon kind of come and go. Yeah. Even if it's fear or joy or whatever, it's not like you don't think of it in terms of like me when I'm dreaming, I don't think of it like, you know, oh, this is my life with my history. And like, it's just like phenomenon that's all arising. Yeah. And so it gets a little loose and, so, so there's a contra it's not a contradiction, but yeah, when you're asking the question, where is the me? And then in the East, you're denying the me, denying the me, denying the me until you get to a single point of focus where everything's just arising as phenomenon. It's kind of the same point that the extreme Christian mystics will go, go to when they talk about the individual, like Christ is both fully man and fully God, yeah. which means that there's no distinction in between the two. Yeah. So it's one single point of manifestation and so that is very much on the same par as it's just a different route to be able to get there but at some point when everything becomes one and you are in the divine pattern the divine pattern of you is in the divine pattern of divinity like it's just all flowing as one thing and the individual goes away see that that's where yeah, i get confused yeah. because so especially as an artist I'm yeah. like, no, 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 wait a minute. It doesn't go away. Yeah. So I don't want you to read on that. Yeah. And that's the like Christian idea of gnosis. Like you're right. uniting with God. You've got man and God and they're both one thing. And in that yeah. way, like, how do you separate between them? Because I used to listen to a lot of Alan Watts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. It's a classic. And looking back on him now, <laughs> like he's a, he's a great orator and yeah. like he's, he's very poetic. He has a lot of deep ideas, but he kind of simplifies it too much for me. He's just like, no, you are God. God is you. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that leads yeah. to psychological inflation, but it also seems to be the goal from a Jungian perspective. And you see the Eastern mystics like Nisargadatta, it seems to be what they reached, what the Buddha reached, what Christ yeah. reached. So it seems yeah. like the, the goal is to somehow unite yourself as an individual with God. But that's also also the riskiest thing to do because you oh, can yeah, psychologically yeah. inflate yourself and think, oh, you're, yeah. think that you're God. It's a death sentence. No, but it's specifically a death sentence because also part of the pattern is you have to become crucified. And that crucifica cruci crucifixion is actually way worse than you think. That's been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been your experience too. I think there's some yeah. other people that can kind of just skate through it somehow and just be like, yeah, that was bad, but you know. Yeah. And for me, I was just like, I almost like, it's been really rough. And, um, and you know, it, in, in like 
pagan symbolism is the phoenix, right? So it's the process of, of, of burning to the ground and then rising out of the ashes. And then in the rising out of the ashes, the vessel becomes purified and more appropriate to holding reality as it is, you know, which is, which yeah. is fuller than what you're able to perceive pre-crucifixion or pre, you know, yeah. immolation or whatever, yeah. that, whatever and that's where, it is. That's where it's very interesting yeah. because the me as a phoenix before that, before bursting yeah. into flames is different from the me afterwards. So then the question is like, ah, like, there you go. like yeah. what, and this is where I'll, like, I want to get your thoughts on this. So, so one way of thinking about me, and this is how a lot of modern people think about me is who I am right now. So me, yeah. Bobby Lancaster, in this moment, who I am is right in here and the way that I'm acting. Um, but that's more just like my ego and my current state. And like, if, if you think about it, let's say I had a goal to get to go to the kitchen and get some food. But, yeah. and, then I, and then I walk to the kitchen, I get the food. I don't face any obstacles on the way. There's no deep down me there in my mind because there was i haven't had to face chaos or the unknown and and actually if, if you look at our brains only a, the left hemisphere of our brains is needed when we're acting in known territory like that and consciousness doesn't manifest so when we're acting only in the known consciousness doesn't manifest because it doesn't need to but if i set myself a goal that i run into deep obstacles in the way of those goals then the unknown manifests itself chaos manifests itself and that's when consciousness turns on. It seems like consciousness is a right brain phenomenon that turns on in the face of the unknown or in the face of chaos to facilitate that transformation. And this is where yeah. Jordan Peterson said, because I kept asking the question like, okay, well, if I'm constantly transforming, like sacrificing, having goals, running into obstacles and changing, am I, is the me who I was before or who, who I was after? And Jordan Peterson showed me that the deep down me is the the process of transformation itself like you are the thing that's transforming yeah which is like a, an extremely difficult thing to think about but that also grounds right. out in the idea of you as an right. individual being the logos or christ okay let's let's slow down let's slow down yeah. okay so th there's a couple of things that i want to talk about uh with this but it specifically in the idea that you are the thing that trans uh transforms across time in order to transform you have to be something first, right? Yes. You have to have material first, right? Like you have to have the piece of metal that you can sculpt into a tool, right? So there is a known thing that exists pre previous to the transformation process. Yes. Which you are. And then the transformation process ends at least in one phase at another known point. Yep. So there's three thing there's three things going on here or three moments going on. There's the thing before, the yes. thing in the middle, and the thing afterwards. And there's meanness in all of those. Yeah. So yep. It's like a proportion issue, you know, of saying well, it's, like it's different and, and levels also of a value meanness. judgment. Yeah, there's different levels of meanness. Yeah. I am who I was, I am who I transformed into, but yeah. way deeper down, I am the spirit of transformation that facilitated that transformation. And that, that's why when I think of where me is, I think of the actions that I take when I'm faced with the unknown. 
So yeah. when I'm in a, a, a complex, chaotic situation where I've got a goal and seemingly insurmountable obstacles to get to that goal, the uh-huh. actions that I take at that moment is when consciousness arises and when I really get to know my character. And that's not always good. Because a lot of the time, like a chaotic situation emerges and I act terribly or I act weak, but that's me. Or sometimes in good times, I face a chaotic situation and I act heroically and I'm able to transform. And that's also me. But it's right. only when I'm facing chaos and the unknown that 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 consciousness manifests and that you, that spirit right. of transformation needs to manifest. I get it. But I would make I would make. I would state it a little bit differently because you had brought up this example of going to get something from the refrigerator. And in that moment, there's no chaos because, uh, because everything's like stable and orderly. But I would argue that if you're in a state, if you're in a growth minded mindset where you're always trying to reach your potential, Hmm. say for example, you're getting up from the couch and you're going to the, refrigerator like if you're saying like hey i'm trying to get more fit and trying to be more healthy and trying to you know like there's certain decisions that i'm going to encounter in the refrigerator that are going to advance that cause and certain ones that are going to retard that cause right so if you eat cake you're going backwards in a way you know but if you eat that apple you're going forward you know Hmm. and so that's a fundamental relationship with chaos because you're still encountering potential and because yeah, potential, exactly. it, right? So there's there's no like even there might be these moments where it's like you win the gold medal at the Olympics and you're up on the podium and you get the full glory of the national anthem raining down on you, where for that the length of that song you can you can bask in the moment of like ah I did it you know I did it and then as soon as that ends you're like gone oh, fucked because yeah. now how am I gonna how am I gonna outdo that like now yeah, exactly. what I'm doing my life to kind of keep this process going because now I've created this value structure of high level achievement but I don't have a goal yeah and you it, exactly and you're, you're this framed. is what happened to Michael yeah. Phelps Michael Phelps after he won all of his gold medals he got suicidal yeah exactly like, well, nobody yeah. fucking talks about that yeah nobody exactly. talks about that one you know I mean that's valuable information because yep. I notice that goes on all the time if I have like a good successful show or I accomplish something. Like there's a back end to that dopamine serotonin depletion. Yep. You know, you use it to be able to be like, oh my God, it's transcendent. And then you come back to earth and you bounce, you know, you bounce your face off the ground. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and then yep. you think like, what did I do wrong? Like, what did, like, what's happening? It's like, no, 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 no. It's just neurochemistry. Exactly. Give yourself a break, you know? Yep. And that's important to know too. And so- even in the moments of extreme orderliness, which I would say that transcendent function of just like, finally, I found harmony with the internal and the external found equilibrium. And now there's this freedom. And now that all that like cosmic divine energy can just flood in because there's no resistance. There's nothing in the mind that's going like, I should, I could have. Yeah. No, you're like, I you did. did it. I am yeah. that. I am the thing that I imagined to me and I fucking did it, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, uh, now what? God damn it! Now what? You know? I mean, so yeah. you're never out of it. You're no, no, you're never out of it because because we we always have to exist within a story, and that's our frame yeah. for knowing how to act. And we feel positive 
like reinforcement when we're moving towards that goal and negative reinforcement when we're not. But as soon as you reach the goal, the frame disappears and then it's just all negative emotion. Right. Um, and you have right. to come up with a new goal. That's why Michael Phelps and a lot of athletes probably suffer from this because they've all, all of their goals for reaching their potential have been built around that athletic endeavor. They get too old for it. And then they're like, they have, that's why a lot of them like move into business or move into something else. Cause it's broadcasting or something. Exactly. But yeah, they need another goal to go but after. Otherwise this actually, crash. this actually goes back to your previous point at the beginning of this conversation of loving the inadequacy. Because now mm -hmm. after you achieve this, now you're inadequate again. Exactly. You know, and, but that's a natural part of the process. So now the thing is like, if you can at least know that that's going to happen and that you're going to hit this part of in feeling inadequate, it's not because you are inadequate. You're not adequate to your next goal yet. Exactly. You know, and, yep. and so that part, and that's actually grace. There's actually a grace in understanding your inadequacy because that's a vector yes. for the will to power if we want to get into a Nietzschean kind of sense. And that's the, the fundamental natural law of just being alive because the distinction between being an inanimate object and a life form is that you have agency where you're saying like, yeah. I want this and I don't want that. I want this, I don't want that. And so now you're directing your life to a place and you're directing your life to where the most energy is. And mm -hmm. so now it's it can be all like reduced down in a overly simplified way to the pursuit of energy. And what is the most brilliant, delicious form of energy that catches your eye the most? And you're like, I wanna go there. Yeah. And, so then, and then, yeah. but you're not there. So you're inadequate. Yeah. But it's not fundamentally inadequate, as in, like, I'm a piece of shit because I'm alive. It's yeah, more, it's, like, yeah, it's I'm not just a little bit of a piece of shit right now. <laughs> I think it, it, it is fundamentally inadequate, but not totally because we, we're okay. constantly going to sin and constantly going to miss the mark in every single action. So I think it's useful to say, yes, I'm fundamentally inadequate, but not totally inadequate. Okay, because so because I have that capacity for transformation, I have that yeah. capacity to act even in the face of that. Yeah. So we're right. missing each other a little bit right here. And I'm curious, I'm curious about that point because, you know, we agree on a lot, but sometimes we miss each other. And here's a little part where we're missing each other. And I wonder if it has to do with me being born in the church and having to like overcome this thing. And then you being raised in a secular environment. And now you're kind of going like you're going into the thing that I'm coming out of. Yes. Yeah. So you're so you're finding value because you've never felt inadequate. <laughs> so <laughs> now you're actually seeing that there's value in the inadequacy. And I'm like, I've always felt inadequate and I'm trying to get out of it. So we're kind of missing each other. Yeah. And actually, there's a part of the shadow thing that I have in my part where I don't even want to see where you're going because I'm like, fuck, dude, I've already done all this work to try to get out of it. However, if it's yeah. true and it's real, then I need to know that. So I'm, I'm, I would love for you to maybe like flesh out a little bit further this idea of fundamental inadequacy. Yeah. So we have we're limited beings in an infinite yeah. world. We can't contain all knowledge. There's always unknown out there. So every single action that we take is sinful in some way. Maybe only in a small way. And yeah, maybe we're always more, missing the mark. We're good in it, but we're always, always missing the mark. Yeah. And that's why like the Jungian idea of um, consciously understanding the shadow, it's consciously understanding your own capacity for sin. And that capacity, like Jung says, reaches all the way down to hell. 
and to yeah. this satanic spirit that's in you that wants evil and wants sin. And until you fully accept that, you can't be good. Like you can't, you don't know what good is until you know your capacity, uh, your deepest capacity yeah. for evil. Yeah. This is yeah. another part where we disagree because I take the, the Neoplatonist view where I don't feel that evil exists in and of itself. Yeah, I feel I like evil exists as like everything is good, but in evil, there's just so little good that it seems. And, yeah, and this bad. is. And this is funny yeah. that you that you like reject a lot of the the church doctrines that formed you, but you still completely accept this one. Because no, is... no, 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 no. This is anti. This is heretical to the church. I don't. I don't think it is. Like this was this was Carl Jung's criticism of the Catholic okay. Church yeah, yeah. is that they thought that, and he wrote about this in Answer to Job, that the the Catholic yeah, view is yeah. that evil is just the absence of good. That right. There is no eternal evil spirit out there uh, right. and that's why like my wife and i get into arguments about this because she's catholic and i'm like no the devil is real and he's in me and i know he's in me i know that it's a yeah. living spirit in me and she's like no 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 it's external to you but it influences you and i'm like no 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 i know it's in me so i believe that it's still in me for sure so i'm seeing like what i'm just I ex I'm acknowledging that there that there is evil and that I that there is an evil part inside of me. I accept that. Yes. Um, yeah. But what what that evil is is up for debate. Like whether or not it yeah. has okay, so whether or not yeah. it is a thing in itself or it's just a lesser form of another thing. Like in the same way that you have the color red, right? And then you have pink. And then you're like, okay, well, they're two different colors. Well, in a way, they're two different colors, but in another way, yeah. it's just very, very little red. Yeah, yeah. With white. It's like yeah. a shadow, right? Like you think yeah. like, oh, okay, a shadow is a thing. No, 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 it's not a thing. It's just a very, very little amount of light. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So that's what I'm thinking of evil as. However, I could be wrong. And I mean, I'm not married to that idea. It's just the one that makes the most sense to me right now. So I'm completely willing to grant that you might yeah, be and, right I, and I think there's a, a there's a middle ground there because I'm saying yes there's a, an eternal spirit of good in God and Christ and an eternal spirit of evil in something like Satan but they they ground out in the same thing and that's that's yeah. what Jung gets at in answer to Job is that God contains Christ and Satan he's both of them in one thing we see them as separate because we can't conceptualize the eternal evil and eternal good being united but they are united in my mind so you can't they're definitely united but i mean in, but in that same way it's like everything is united yeah you know what i mean like every single thing is united um yeah and so yes and then it goes back to our fundamental question it's like where does the me end and the other begins yeah you know what i mean because what we're trying to really yep. what we do as humans is we try to find case limits and boundary distinctions. Yeah. You know, exactly. and then once I have like, okay, something's in a boundary here and then something's in a boundary here and something, then I can use all these to get to this next thing. You know, it's like yeah. when I'm making a piece of art, it's like, I have a vision, right? But I need colors and I need a surface and I need a, you know, 
a process and I'd say and all those things like the colors have a certain quality and I have to work within those limits the surface whether it's a piece of paper or canvas or whatever that has a quality and and I have to work within those limits and then you know so I under, I'm trying to understand what it is and what it's not and then inside yeah. of what it is certain things open up but yep. what it's not is really useful too because also some things open up and yeah, what things yeah. are not reality possibilities open up i mean maybe that's just the nature of living in infinity but um yeah yeah but trying to find the line and at least draw an accurate yeah and that's, what, that's what we do as conscious beings is categorize things yeah. and draw lines because we have to like because we're limited beings we have to try and categorize things and name things but yeah this is where i i, I love the the jungian idea of the uroboros which isn't even yeah. a Jungian idea. It goes way back or the dragon of chaos because it contains all opposites. It contains good and evil. It contains dark and light. It contains masculine and feminine. So it's the thing that joins everything together. But then the, the hero like separates everything so that the hero confronts that dragon of chaos, which is potential. That's what it is. We confront so the anti-hero. slice it up. So does the anti-hero. So does the, the protagonist and yes. the antagonist both do the same thing. Yes, exactly. But they do it in slightly different ways where the, right. the, the antagonist will create a corrupted false order. So they'll, they'll slice because of their own Because of narcissism or their own self-reflection. They'll create ide ideological categories. Whereas yeah. if you're acting in the logos and you're speaking the truth, then you create a category, a, a category system that's good. But even then, any category system we create is limited. So then again, the, it's the process of transformation of those category systems that's more important. So it, and that's why like we're never sufficient because we all we find ourselves and our individuality by confronting potential, confronting chaos, and then making order out of it. So it's so if, like Michael Phelps, he's yeah. con he's conquered the unknown, he's conquered chaos at the highest level. So then that frame disappears. What does he do next? He has to go back out into the unknown. He has to go right. back out into chaos, back out into potential. And then the question is like, how do you know how to do that? Like, how do you, how, how do you orient towards that? And, and Jordan Peterson's um, like conclusion in Maps of Meaning is that it's our sense of interest and meaning that guides us there. And, and he, he links it back to um, our um, neuropsychology. There's something called the orienting instinct. So mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm walking down a street and I hear a loud crash behind me, then instantly my body will turn around to, towards that. And while I'm turning around, my my right side of my brain and consciousness will generate hundreds of images of what that could potentially be. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and that's our sense of meaning. And it's biologically and physically grounded. So mm -hmm. he's saying that, like, when we have that sense of, like, look at this anomaly, that's our sense of meaning telling us to look at that. And, and that's why he, his conclusion is that we have to be self-interested primarily because your own individual sense of meaning is the thing that's going to guide you into chaos in the right way. And that's why like over the last like five years, I've been like writing these scripts and like, where do these ideas come to me to work on these particular ideas? But I've learned to trust that. I'm like, I don't know why, but my sense of meaning is guiding me here. And, and, and Peterson links this back to good and evil. So when an anomaly manifests, like that car crashing in from the unknown, if I ignore the anomaly, that's evil. 
if I confront the anomaly, that's good. And that's that's like his fundamental definition of good and evil in a way, is the the way that I behave in the face of an anomaly that's coming out of the unknown. Because if I if I ignore the anomaly, like something bad happens in my life. Let's say I was like, let's say I, I like went out on the weekend, got drunk, acted terribly, and then the next day I just ignore it. And I'm just like, ah, doesn't matter about all that, forget about it. I'm not, I'm not confronting the anomaly in the unknown. And I end up thinking that my current knowledge structures are fully sufficient, which is right. the ultimate egotism. So that orienting reflex that like points us to meaning and interest in the unknown is what should be our guide. And he's saying that that sense is divine. It's like God telling us what to aim at. And it's like our destiny in a way. And I think we, we that's why that, there's that idea that like God has a destiny for each of us. And I think you discover that by following your sense of meaning. Because it seems absurd to me because a lot of the ideas that I'm focused on now, it's not that I came up with those ideas to focus on that. It's not that I'm like, oh, this is what I'm going to work on. It's almost like it came to me as a vision. Yeah. It's like Jung's idea that you don't have ideas, ideas have you. Right. So it's like your potential is calling to you from the future, telling you what to focus on to become your, yeah. to become more. Yeah. And it's like, it almost feels as if, your potential has agency. Mm, yeah, you know, like exactly. Potential is kind of like navigating it is you're looking at the future going towards it, but then it's also looking back and the medium in between is life, you mm. know, and, and it's trying to tell you, all right, I see the same obstacle you see, and this is the way to get around it. Yeah. So, so it has to kind of make decisions. Because it yeah, has a yeah. bunch of different possibilities that it could take. So it has agency on its side, even though it like almost already exists. Yeah. And who's making and those you decisions? have agency on your side? Yeah. Who makes But then where decisions? is the me? Again, where is the me? Yeah. If, the, yeah. If, if part of if part of me is in my potential and it doesn't exist yet, yet it's acting with agency. Yeah, yeah. Tell me where it is like, where the fuck is that? Yeah, that's beyond space and time or whatever. And yet yeah, that's exactly. the most important thing. That's the most important quality of my life that my life will either flourish or fail based on my relationship with that thing. And I have no idea what that is. And yeah. honestly, it's terrifying. Yeah, because now now what do I what am I what am I doing? So now I'm just a pawn in some sort of like supernatural um, you know, overlord that's just like, and how do I know that it has my best interests in mind? Like, how do I know that this thing, like where, like, okay. So you're like, well, it's God just trust us. Well, look at fucking what happened to Christ. Yeah. You know, yeah. God, the father put Christ up on the, like, I don't want that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, look at all these other people, like, look at all these other artists that just went down in a fucking blaze of self-immolation, you yeah. know, or all these other heretic heretics in the church, like Joan of Arc, you know, who mm. followed her, you know, who, how, what do you fucking do? Like, what do you do? Like, yeah. you start to get on this level and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa. You, you want me to be crucified? Yeah. Like, like, this is the highest expression thought, of love? Yeah. I thought you were looking out for me. You want me to reach yeah. my highest potential and my highest yeah. potential is accepting my own crucifixion. Right. Yep. But on some level, like, once you get there, it makes sense. So in yeah, the exactly. same way that you yep. can turn around, like, I... Like if I would have known all the things that I would have had to gone through to be able to get to where it is that I'm at right now, from that perspective, looking forward, I'd just be like, dude, I am not up for that. 
you know, like I can't do that. And, but now it's like, I've gone through all of that and all of that suffering is a form of grace because it's brought so much clarity and so much strength. And I just, because I've been tested so intensely to the extent of my, of everything that I have in my mind that now I know, like, I know that I'm, that, you know, I'm a real artist, you know, that I'm like authentically, like I've taken it to the point of, of it just all like every framework I've tested it, tested it, tested it and suffered tremendously. And at the time I'm just like screaming at God, you know, saying like, what the fuck is this bullshit? You know, like how it's just cruel. Like I remember in my most painful moments, I would just be looking and just be like, this is so cruel. And it's kind of like a Job sense, you know, it's like, why, like, why are you doing like, am I not already fucking doing everything? Like I'm doing everything I'm doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's fucking rough, dude. But then you get to the other side and then it's like, it makes sense. And you're like, yeah, exactly. And I'm all of a sudden I'm glad to go through that. And so then, you know, so then you get to the other side of this impossible situation. And maybe that's what Christ went through. He got off the cross, you know, whatever, had the, whatever that experience is, you know, turned around and was like, wow, I'm really glad that, I mean, it's weird to put it in layman's terms like this, but, yeah, you know, may, on the other side, we just, I guess we just have to trust that on the other side, it makes sense. Yeah, but right exactly. now it doesn't. Yeah, you it's know? like, it reminds me of Christ in Gethsemane. Like he drinks from the, yeah. like the, the cup of life, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And it's a bitter drink and mm-hmm. he has a vision of his crucifixion. So then he, but he accepts it and still acts it out. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be betrayed. He knows he's going to be crucified, but it's like, he makes that what he wants. He's like, okay, that's my goal. Even though it's going to be the cruelest thing imaginable for me. Well, he also says, Lord, take this cup from me. Yes. But then he drinks it. But then he drinks it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that yeah. goes back to like, so where do these thoughts come from? Hmm. You know, yeah. because in a way that's Christ. And he's like, I am going to sacrifice the me, my idea of me to go into this greater me that I don't understand yet. And I don't want to do it. And I'm trying to negotiate with this thing. I'm trying to say like, is there any other way we can do this without having to go here? And then the higher order is like, no, no, that's it. This is the way you have one option and one option only. And your decision is either yes or no. If you say no, you're never going to become your highest potential. You're never going to know truth because this is the truth. Yes. This is what you have to do. And on some level, you decided even before this whole thing got going, like you decided that this is what you want. But now there's a small part of yourself saying, no, 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 wait, no, 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 I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't yeah, want it. yeah. Wait, wait, even, yeah, even, I do. No, I don't. Yeah, I do. No, I don't. You know? Yeah. Even Christ on the cross, his last yeah. words is being crucified. He's like, yeah. why have you forsaken me? Because he yeah. still can't accept that pain. But yeah. then in a comedic fashion, he's resurrected. Happy ending. He comes back as something transformed. So when we accept that path that God points to us to become better, even if it requires us to sacrifice part of ourselves or even all of ourselves, we have to have faith that something better is going to come of it. And even though that's the thing, like, even though- And it's a feeling. Here's the fucking thing, dude. The entire thing is a feeling. Hmm. Yeah. Because you can, it's like, Hmm. when you fall in love, 
right? And all of a sudden this feeling happens and you're like, damn, like I have to do this. Hmm, yeah. Like it's just a sensation that occurs, but this quality of this sensation has like truth in it. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, this is what truth feels like. So yep. now I have to do this. And so you can throw all of this rational stuff out the window because exactly. at the end of the day, you have an encounter with a sensation and that sensation has all the information necessary. And you just have to start walking down that path. And then it just keeps revealing itself, revealing itself, revealing itself. And it's fundamentally a feeling. It's a non-rational. So, so in a way, the rational component is a bit satanic, you mm. know? Yeah, exactly. Because, and that's because why it's a leap you, of faith. Yeah, once you distort it through the rational, once you take this divine impulse to being and life and love and you distort it into the rational, you elevate the rational above its proper place exactly. and then you let that guide you and that takes you off course and that takes you into the darkness rather than the light. So it's fundamentally a satanic impulse. Yeah. And then you start. That fair? That's crazy yeah. thinking, but yeah. Then you start creating towers of Babel. So like, yeah. like Nimrod who created, who, who built the tower of Babel, I bet he had a feeling of oneness with God at one stage. And he's like, we can be one with God. But then his intellect got into him and said, well, God's up there and we're down here. Like the best way for me to be one with God again is to build a tower that reaches all the way to heaven. Which um, is reasonable. Yeah, so it's, exactly. You know, it's kind reasonable. of a smart idea. Exactly. Reasonable. Well, it's not. And then he, he, he creates an ideological narrative that convinces everyone to help build the tower with him. He tries to get everyone under one language. So everyone's speaking the same language. So he like restricts language so that he can control people to build the tower. But then God comes and tears the thing down because any rational structure that overreaches and doesn't take into account the irrational will get torn apart. So that's, I think like, like you said, the, the intellect is the ultimate risk for that satanic instinct. And that's why like Mephistopheles in Goethe's Faust is like highly intellectual. A lot of evil characters are like, they put the intellect above the irrational and Right. Even even Einstein said this. He's like, if you put the intellect above the irrational, you won't come up with anything new. You've got to put the irrational above the intellect and the intellect should be in service of the irrational. But that's a leap of faith, because like you said, it, it comes to you as a feeling and then you've got to follow it without reasonably and logically be, being able to know why. Yeah, but and then the rational seems to be like a sharpening mechanism. So mm -hmm. the big the big impulse to move has to be irrational and based on a feeling. And then the particular particularities of what shoes am I going to wear for what the ground is that I'm walking on and how far I have to go it has to be thought through and rational. However, to get from here to where it is that I need to go is irrational. Like why like why do this? You know, like because yeah. I have to. You're know, like okay, boom, that part's done. Now it's like how am I going to do it? Yeah. No. It, okay. So the why is irrational, but the how is rational. So now there's these different domains that you have to, hmm. you, because they're all just mental tools because the rational is also God given. Exactly. You know, the rational was also, yeah. you know, comes from the same place as the irrational. Yeah. So they just have to be, you, you have to know when you have to know proper domains and that takes forever to figure out. And, yeah. and, and it yeah. only comes through just tremendous 
failure and pain. And most yeah. people just give up. Yeah. And then most people just look at somebody else and go, just tell me what to do. Just, yeah, exactly. just fucking tell me what to do. This is, yeah. I'm tired. Because following kids, these like, shitty job. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Following these irrational instincts right. of meaning with a leap of faith into the future is killing me. Just tell me what to do. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. Well, I think that that might be a good place to uh, maybe like take a pause. And, yeah. um, you know, it'd be cool to, you know, maybe dovetail that back with the beginning of where is the me? So now there's a me that takes an irrational leap forward and has to use, you know, tools of wisdom, you know, to be able to move forward. And then there's another me that just wants to retreat. And, you know, and yeah, you know, and all of those are important and they're all valid. And, and, but there is a judgment in there. Some are better than others, you know, some paths forward, you know, so that's really interesting. And, And where the me fits into that matrix um is uh is is really really cool yeah um do you want to like tie it up in a bow for now and then um maybe continue whenever we're going to do this next i have no idea yeah definitely like for me like like i said like i think the me is to be found in the the actions you take in the face of chaos because that's when you're confronting potential and you're guided by your sense of meaning into that but you're also who you are now and who you'll be after a transformation and you're also the the positive thing in you that's guiding you forward and the negative thing in you that's right. guiding you back. So it's it's full of paradoxes. And I don't claim to have any of this fully worked out at all. But I, I seem to keep well, going but- back to the point that the real deep down me is the spirit of transformation itself that's within me that's grounded in the logos, grounded in Christ, and somehow grounded in God and my God image. But then it, mm-hmm. anytime I try and articulate that deeply, it's all the boundaries mm-hmm. disappear. So mm-hmm. I, I can't. Yeah. Well, it's worth it's worth chasing it down. And I think, you know, any any sort of uh advance through uh just articulation and shared vision is a benefit because there's only so much I can see. And um yeah. and you help me see places that I can't see. So it's of tremendous value to me and I just really appreciate it. Yeah, me too, mate. Let's continue these conversations. Okay, cool. So bye for now. All right. Love you, mate. All right, all right, love you too. Later.